How you doing? Name's Robin. Nice to be, but you can call me Chuck. <laughs> Robin, what's your favorite Disney film? Well, to be honest, Walter, I think Fantasia has a certain Fellini-esque kind of quality. A carriage approaches to take you into the boundless realm of the W Radio. You're in Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 715. And together, as we have been since 2005, we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, Marvel, Star Wars, and more. Here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook every Wednesday night, events, blog, and more. Please be sure to join the community, subscribe to the podcast, and find everything at www.radio.com. So Gideon's Bakehouse in Disney Springs is nothing short of a phenomenon with wait times and lines that rival Disney's biggest e-ticket attractions and delicious cookie that justify those waits. And this week, I sit down with the founder and mad scientist behind Gideon's to discuss Gideon's origins, journey, stories, recipes, and more. Then stay tuned for our Disney trivia question of the week so you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package, your voicemails, and more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. One of the most remarkable recent additions to Disney Springs, and actually Walt Disney World as a whole, did not come in the form of a new roller coaster, stage show, or incredible piece of technology. Instead, it came from a cookie, and born from the visions and dreams and kitchen of one man, Gideon's Bakehouse, this massive, delicious, Salty and sweet and genius creations are truly the stuff of legends. Dare I say, a literal phenomenon. If you don't believe me, just look at the line that forms every single morning, 365 days a year. Or, if you really want to be convinced, just try one. Or, better yet, join me today as I sit down with someone who is a creative, culinary, dare I say visionary, the founder of Gideon's, Steve Lewis. As you're saying this, I'm laughing, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm thinking all of that's about this dum-dum right here. You're talking about me? Uh, it's it's really weird to hear that, but thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. With you. Every part of it's true, and your, your story and the story of Gideon's is incredibly fascinating. Um, and we are actually recording together in person, which I love, above the very first Gideon's. We will get to that. Um, but I want to set the, the stage. Um, the recurring theme today is going to be all about story. We are both comic book people. We'll get to that too. So give me your origin story. Tell me about young Steve Lewis, the little kid with big dreams, the musician, the comic book guy, and uh, and the beginning of your, sto- your, your, your journey. A little baby Steve. He's such a precious little creature. Uh, as my story goes, when I was little, I had three goals in life. I wanted to be a musician. 
I wanted to own a comic shop, and I wanted to train a great white shark. Uh, and uh, and I'm I'm very fortunate to say that I've accomplished two of those things. Uh, I I started uh, my music life when I was seven or eight years old. I started getting trained in you know guitar, piano. I'm actually a vocal music major, um, and I started working professionally in music at 15, uh, writing and recording music. Uh, doing uh, shows, doing some touring, uh, having a good time, learning that that world. I I, I grew up really fast when I was young. Uh, I graduated uh, uh, school early. I had my first apartment as a young teenager. You know, I've, I'm, I've had a interesting life. And where was home? Where'd you grow up? I'm originally from Staten Island, but I've been here in Orlando now for over 20 years. Someone just asked me today when I moved to Orlando, and I'm. Had to start clicking back and in, in my rusty brain, uh, but I've been here for about 20, 25 years now, 20, 24 years. So you did the music thing, you did the comic book thing, you owned Uberbot in Winter Park. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I had a bot surgery on my hand, so I was kind of forced to retire from music. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I moved to Orlando to open up what was meant to be a comic shop called Uberbot that ended up being this really interesting in my opinion, way ahead of its day, pop culture art gallery that specialized in designer toys, comics. Uh, it wasn't your typical comic shop in that we didn't have all these old back issues and stuff on the floor and posters taped in the window. It was all presented in a very gallery fashion. And I would do things like invite a lot of my favorite comic artists to come and do art shows, but I wanted them to express who they were as artists not draw Spider-Man, Batman uh, and no one had ever asked comic artists to do that uh, at that stage now comic artists are seen as actual artists which is as it should be but it was a little bit harder to convince people because in the early 2000s when I started doing this comics were seen as you know nerd things you know for kids and here I was in a pretty high-end part of Winter Park, the Winter Park Village, trying to get you know fifty-plus-year-olds to to read comics, and it worked. Uh, I would get people to read some of the more mature, like Vertigo labels, and you know comics like uh, Preacher and Fables, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I was really proud of it. I, I, I miss it, and in a lot of ways, Gideon's to me is Uberbot. Uh, it's. I, I think of Gideon's as more of an art gallery than than a bakery. Uh, so I, there's been a lot of ups and downs in in life, as there is with every human being. It's the human condition. Uh, but when I look at it, and I think all the dots connected perfectly to to create the no pun intended perfect recipe for for my life. Uh, I really enjoy what I do. I'm very passionate about my days. Well, you. You seem to want to not just create a thing, you want to create experiences, right? Uberbot was more of an experiential event space than it was a place just to go and pick up, you know, your comics that came in that Tuesday. Yeah, one of the biggest questions that I get is, why don't you ship your cookies and uh, or Uber Eats? And what's there's no experience to having cookies dropped off at your front door. It's a, It's more than just the desserts. It's the immersion of the physical space. Here at the Easton Market, it's the Easton Market itself and enjoying 
the ecosystem of a local community. At Gideon's and Disney Springs, it's self-contained. You don't know what's behind that door to walk through, and it transports you into another place. That's a part of it. But then there's also the community of Gideon's Bakehouse. My my team are wonderful people. I still do all the hiring myself. And an interview with me is funny because it's a you know ninety minutes talking about comics and talking about you know the last episode of The Last of Us and what nation would you be at Avatar the last you know in Avatar the Last Airbender? Uh, I I like to hire people that like to that understand what it means to build a sense of community and can just talk to you about you. I don't need them to talk about Gideon's. Gideon's is taken care of. You hire for culture and community because you can teach anybody how to sort of serve the cookies and, and whatnot, but you're, you're hiring a specific, much like Disney, you're hiring a specific type of person to sort of represent the, you and the brand. Yeah, I want to hire people and work with people that have passion. I don't care what that passion's about. I want them to be excited to talk to me about something that they love. Uh, and, you know, bonus if it aligns with the things that I like. You know, the only, uh, I, I joke, the only thing I don't want you talking about at Gideon's is sports. I don't know anything about sports. Every time I hear it, I'm like, well, yeah, unless it's Quidditch, you can talk about Quidditch. So let's talk about the, the journey to Gideon's. And again, starting, you know, way back at the beginning, because the journey from beginning to opening the doors wasn't even really a door at Eastern Market was a very long one. Talk to me about how the recovering musician, comic book guy starts going into the kitchen to start baking because it was really like more of almost a, an escape for you, right? Sure. You'll notice I, I told you that my childhood goals didn't include baking. Uh, but when I was around 10 years old, and I was just talking to a customer about this, uh, I, I, I would go to like the buffets with my family and I, I always thought I was going to be some great mastermind that would combine the junk at a buffet to create some super uh, you know, e- e- explosion of flavor that no one's ever experienced before. Uh, and that kind of mentality, that mad scientist uh, child mentality, found its way into the kitchen. And I, I actually found baking and experimenting to be my stress hobby. Uh, so th- the first thing that I created when I was 10 years old, I think, was a banana bread chocolate chip muffin. Nothing too spectacular. It was just a Pillsbury mix with chocolate chips in it. And I thought I was genius because I added chocolate chips. Uh, and t- today we have a banana bread chocolate chip cookie that is a tribute to that 10-year-old me and one of my favorite uh, cookies because it speaks to, you know, we're all very protective of our 10-year-old selves. Uh, it's a very sentimental cookie for me. But uh, I started working on the chocolate chip cookie as a young teen and tinkered with it for 15 years. It was never in my mind to open up a bakery. It was just something that I did when I needed to relieve some stress. That's why I say the secret ingredient in the Gideon's cookies are my tears. Because I always bake when I'm stressed out and put on the carpenters, you know, zone out and get into that mode. Uh, so in a way, the universe kind of pushed me into this in a very unexpected way. Uh, Uberbot was a wonderful place, but it did not survive the 2008 crash. Uh, and uh, I lost everything. I lost my house. I lost... I even lost my dog at that time. It was like the worst time of my life, which obviously pushed me to baking because I needed it so much. But I also needed some money, so I started selling some cookies out of my house, and it just snowballed. You know, it's it, it, in a lot of ways it feels like it was a quick from A to B, but it was really, you know, an eight-year process of learning uh, 
selling things out of the house and then eventually being asked to do a pop-up at East End Market uh, that uh, turned into pure madness almost instantly. So, wait, I want to I step back for one second. So you, you're self-taught, right? You teach yourself how to do baking. You don't come from a family of bakers or anything else like that. You use this as a way to sort of help deal with sadness and stress. I always believe that oftentimes from adversity, therein lies some great opportunity. Am I correct in, is the story true that at one point you started working at the Apple store and you were, um, you were like bringing cookies for like friends to try and, and taste test? Was there like a little black market of like people like selling your cookies before? Like, you, Steve, you need to sell your cookies and if we don't, we're going to sell them for you. Yes, there absolutely <laughs> was a, a, a Gideon's black market. Uh, yeah, I needed insurance uh, and, uh, and and money, so I, I became a trainer at Apple. I was working at Apple for, for a while, and I love my Apple family. Uh, they they pushed me and, and, and inspired me to go beyond just a chocolate chip cookie, so I started working on a lot of different flavors and testing them out. I made them pay for it, so, you know, they... <laughs> They, they, you know, they, it wasn't out of the kindness of their heart. I, uh, I was selling a decent amount of cookies to my, uh, to my Apple peeps. Uh, I, I, I often say that the cookies and cream cookie is on the menu because it's the most popular cookie with Apple people, and I don't like it. Like, it's a good cookie, and it, it, I, I made it to try to taste like a, a, a Oreo milkshake in a cookie form, and it does, and that wasn't easy to do. But you know what an Oreo milkshake tastes like, so it's not a surprising flavor profile that I, I think is found in every other cookie. But it's popular. I, I curse those Apple people for it uh, every time they they come and visit, which is which is often. Uh, but yeah, that, they were kind of my testing ground. Uh, and, but what would happen is my waiting list was pretty intense, uh, and and people started to get on the waiting list to uh, purchase cookies only to sell them for double the price. <laughs> and that's when I started to really take things a little bit more seriously. Yeah, there's 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 a business here. So how do you go from, you know, the, the guy in his kitchen, sort of the mad scientist in his kitchen, to your first pop-up shop here at East End Market? A lot of it is uh, because I think one of the things that I've learned through uh, music and through Uberbot and working kind of in that comic book business is I realized that I had a, a good eye and understanding for branding and marketing. So what was always happening in my head with Gideon's was even when it wasn't really a bakery to me, my brain can't help but create the vision and the branding and the feel and the vibe of it in my head. So it was always moving in that direction. And there just comes a point where it has to get out. you know. And, and the, the pop-up didn't have the, the, the tone and visual of Gideon's. Uh, and there was an existing baker here in the Eastern Market that had retired. And I could have easily just taken over that space and kept that bakery's look and vibe and saved a lot of money. But I tore it all down because it had to be Gideon's. I had to have those bookshelves up. I had to have the chandeliers. I had to have that feeling that was in my head. Because at the end of the day, Gideon's is... is my authenticity it's my creative expression it's I think a part of what is so successful about Gideon's is that it's not some themed concept that I've come up with I don't think anybody gets this feeling like I'm throwing out product to squeeze their cash out of them it's really me at my house making desserts 
uh, and art and hoping that it, they love it and that they're inspired by it, telling them stories, just having fun. And again, there's there's sort of, I look at what happens next as sort of being two sides of the story, right? There's there's the you side of the story, opening up the pop-up shop. You have no partners, no investors, a few hundred dollars in the bank, and that's it. Like, you're sort of going all in on opening up this store. Talk to me first about what that first day was, <laughs> that first day was like, and then I want to talk about the story of Gideon and how... Again, it, it's more than a theme, but it's the story and it's the essence of what Gideon's really is. The first day was one of those interesting days that I've talked about before uh, because I didn't think that such a thing like this really existed. It's just the BS that people tell you when they're, when they're telling you their life story. But I, I remember talking to the previous pop-ups before me and they gave me a kind of an understanding of what my daily volume should be based on traffic here in the market. And I, I'm... I freeze my dough before I bake it. I use real vanilla bean in the dough, so it's part of that process. And I don't have a staff, so I prepared what I thought was three weeks' worth of dough. And it was all gone by 1 o'clock on the first day. So it was one of those real BS moments where everything just clicked, and I realized, oh, wow, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and everything that Gideon's in my head was kind of built up to be solidified and it's been that ever since it took a while to really get it to exactly where I wanted it to be because when you don't have a team and resources it's it's really hard uh, but the appeal to Gideon's at Disney Springs was it really opened up that door to, to be fully what I thought Gideon's could be yeah, because when you came here, again, this was supposed to be a three-week trial of a pop-up shop. So you're sort of, you know, taking a chance on starting this business here. East End Market, a mutual friend, right, taking a, a, a shot in letting you do this pop-up. How quickly does it turn to this is going to be where Gideon's permanent home is? About 45 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it was really that quick. I... I I think I knew and East End knew that, that, that this needed to be a permanent fit. I mean, and that's more for them to say, but I'm, I, I'm pretty sure if memory serves, and to be fair, my memory typically doesn't serve, uh, we were having the conversation about a, a, a permanent lease within a, a week or so of me being here as a pop-up. Yeah, I love the fact that you both were able to see that vision very quickly. So let's talk about the story of, the, again, the story concept of, of Gideon and how this comes to be because you don't pull this name, you don't pull the sort of vibe of what Gideon's is sort of out of thin air. It's it sort of, it, it sort of came from who you are and your love of books and collecting and, and the Victorian era. Tell the story of, of Gideon and the, and the cookbook. Yeah, the name Gideon's comes from a, a, a book that I found at an estate sale where I, I, I purchased a, a collection of Victorian books. And uh, one of them was a cookbook that a little kid was writing in because he wanted to be a baker when he grew up. And the name scribbled at the back of the book is Gideon. The date the book was published was 1898. So I just find that fascinating. I love that's part of the joy of collecting antiques. As a matter of fact, we found another book in the collection uh, that I, I built at Disney Springs that a little girl wrote in in crayon. It wasn't a cookbook, but she was she was doing her homework in it. 
Uh, and for some reason, all this stuff just, just seems a little creepy to me. But there's a page in there where she's just writing names of bones in this colorful crayon, which is just a, 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 an amazing thing. So I, 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 I just have a knack for finding some cool stuff now and again. Uh, and when it came time to really take Gideon's a little bit more seriously and that branding started to to, to f- unfold in my head, that book came to, to, to memory. Uh, so it just stands, uh, you know, it just, it just lends itself to a Victorian uh, uh, feel if you're going to uh, pay tribute to a book that's from the, you know, 1898. But also I was living in College Park in an old house at the time that was an older home that needed that decor. So the decor of Gideon's was the decor of my house. East End Market is still to this day filled with stuff that I robbed from myself because I had 800 bucks when I opened up this shop. I had to, to obviously take my own collection uh, of things and, and put it in here. Uh, so yeah, it was it was really easy. You know, it's the the decision making of, of Gideon's, the, the the growth of Gideon's, the branding side of Gideon's because it's so authentic it's natural to me I don't have to I don't hem and haw over any decision making process it's usually a two second process uh, which I think is a part of how I'm able to survive at the level that we've become uh, and having such an amazing team uh, underneath me but yeah Gideon just feels it feels natural and I love that. I love the sense of authenticity, not just to the book and the story and, and the little boy, which is wonderfully darkly romantic, but it, Gideon's is who you are, this haunted Victorian vibe. Um, I am that, a darkly romantic <laughs> soul, for sure. But the aging and the texture and the beauty in in terms of deciding what the visuals were going to be like you know do you sort of ask yourself all right what what do i want this to be what did what would gideon's kitchen have looked like uh, and there's a disney connection too right off the bat even here at east end market in terms of the decor that you chose right yeah the chandelier that ha- that hangs over the cookie display case used to be in the haunted mansion i got really lucky so can you i don't even what's the story of how that came into your position i get tony our, our lighting guy i love him to death uh, the rustic punk uh, he, uh, he, uh, I saw his work at the adjectives market here in town and he has a friend that was a contractor at Disney that did some of the updates to haunted mansion and he had some pieces. And if I recall, uh, he was obsessed with pears and he only had one chandelier and he only had one piece of wrought iron gate from the cemetery. So he sold it to me for cheap, like a couple hundred bucks, which was like a quarter of my budget. So uh, uh, I, I got really fortunate with that. And it, it, I, it was a little foreshadowing that I didn't even realize. And it still hangs downstairs? It does. He added lighting to it. It didn't have actual uh, electrical in it. it. It held candles, but he, he outfitted it to, to actually work. Well, uh, well we, before we leave, we'll get a picture and I'll, I'll share it in the show notes so people can see it. But you talk about that, that selling out very quickly, the buzz of this little 280-some-odd-square-foot pop-up bakery grows very, very, very quickly. Um, The word gets out. I have to imagine, again, you don't expect this. Just from a business perspective, talk about the 
the challenges that that has to present to you, sort of having to scale quickly because it's all you and it's all your time. So how do you like scale you to make sure that you're able to deliver the same type of quality and the same type of experience for everybody that comes through? Well, for, for my local friends that were here from the beginning and they know that the answer is I didn't. I sold out uh, way too fast for quite a while until it took me it took me some time to figure it out. But what was really great about that and what I love so much about this community is they were supportive. They didn't come in and yell at me because we were sold out. Uh, they th- congratulated me and encouraged me uh, until I finally started to hire some people and figure it out. Gideon's at Easton Market is 286 square feet. So selling out was inevitable because there's just not enough space to hold enough cookies to meet the demand, which is why there's a limit of six per person. I've just recently updated to seven per person because I added our first new permanent cookie to the menu with my banana bread chocolate chip. Uh, but it, it it was hard. I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing to this day, and it's still I, I kind of... Uh, embrace that I don't know what I'm doing because that's where a lot of that authenticity comes from is I just uh, and originality so you talk about the theming and the look of Gideon's it was natural for me because that's kind of what my brain would look like if you cracked it open it made sense for the the name and the history but there was also a part of me that didn't want to look or feel like anybody else you know like I haven't ever had every chocolate chip cookie in the world but I've never had one like mine and the goal when we talk about experience is how do you create menu items that create a unique experience? I remember the first time I had a chocolate chip cookie at Gideon's Bakehouse. I remember the first time I had that peanut butter cold brew. I, I love to hear those things more than anything else. So a, a lot of the look of, of what we are stems from the fact that every other bakery was clean and pastel and colorful and cute. And I am none of those things. Uh, so it just worked out uh, that that Gideon's was so different in every sense of the word. Uh, and I think it allowed growth and attention uh, and support from the community to happen so quickly. Because it was also at a time in Central Florida's history where the food scene was just starting to grow and explode. And for those of us who have been in Orlando for 20 plus years know that it used to be nothing but chains. You know, where are we going tonight? Outback or Longhorn or, or uh, you know, Olive, Olive Garden? Garden. Ugh. Uh, and it's not that anymore. So I was really fortunate to be a part of that growth. I, I, I'm proud to, to, to be a, a part of the, the building of the food scene here in town and, and, and all the amazing work that my peers do. Like, I love, I love all the local businesses around here. We talk to each other. We support each other. It's a cool community. And I love the fact that it's it's about community. And we're going to circle back to, to the idea of what that is and why that's so important. But let's talk about the cookies themselves, right? You have this legendary reputation for not cookie, not only cookies that are delicious, but they're giant. Um, they're handmade. We obviously know about the crazy demand. I have to imagine it starts with the simple chocolate chip cookie, but some of the other recipes didn't come from the cookbook, right? One did like one almost make it like a spice cookie or something. Oh, yeah, almost actually, there. oh, I forgot about that. I'm, I'm shaking my head. No, uh, there was a, a uh, the most popular cookie of, of that era was called the Hermit Cookie. So I kind of 
incorporated the the spices that were in this popular hermit cookie into my chocolate chip and made like a chocolate chip hermit cookie. Uh, that's never actually made it to the retail <laughs> side. That was one of those items that I sold out of my kitchen that never made it over. I f- totally forgot about it. That's why. <laughs> but you do have ones that were inspired by you growing up. So I'm going to say this more than once, and I swear it's true. I'm really not a sweets guy, but there is something about the cookies. And one of my favorites is your dark chocolate coffee cake cookie, which, you know, you come from Staten Island. So was that, did that sort of been inspired by, you know, growing up in in New York, Italian family where crumb cake on Sunday morning was? 100%. So I, I call that the love letter to my New York Italian family. Because I remember the, uh, uh, everybody playing poker, uh, eating the coffee cake with uh, with a coffee at night, and uh, I, I had to, to to bring that. It's the hardest cookie to make, uh, which is why it's very limited. It's only at the Disney Springs location. We only make a couple hundred a day, so there's a morning version which is vanilla based, and an, and a uh, sunset version which only comes out exactly at sunset every night. Like if you show up five minutes before sunset, you're not getting that. Trying to time the virtual queue is very, very tough. Like I know, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Especially if you're trying to get there for like um, hot cookie hour, right? So, yeah. and I love the fact that you have these things like the morning cookie and the nighttime cookie and the seasonal cookies, because again, there is a difference in the type of experience that you go. Literally, depending on when you go, time of year and time of day. Yeah, and a lot of it's just necessity. Like I said, the, that, the coffee cake cookie is too hard to make. So a lot of my menu and production is a whack-a-mole. If everybody wants that coffee cake cookie and I make a bunch of it because it takes double the time, now I don't have enough chocolate chip to get through the day. So something's going to have to give. And again, I'm tiny. Both loca- Between both locations, I'm just 1,600 square foot of retail. So we have to be really mindful about it. I can't obviously keep an oven making hot cookies all day long. I'm going to run out of cookies. Uh, so we only do it uh, one hour, two times a day. We're in those kind of hours where we start to focus on catching up. So everything feels really limited and exclusive, which is fun. But it's the truth behind it is it's just necessity. And where does some of the inspiration come for the cookies? Because you do have such unique flavors. I love the fact that a lot of them have a little bit of a saltiness to it. You do, you do one that's specifically that the Krampus cookie is in December. You have another cookie that comes out literally only one day a year, right? Yeah, I think we've got a few of those uh, now. I know a thing with the Black Cat cookie. Yeah. It was like a- we do the Black Cat. Some of these charity cookies are like one one day or one week out of the year. I was working on one just this morning for something coming up. Uh, so yeah, we, we love to have a little bit of fun. Where it comes from, I don't know. It's, you know, it's just, it, it, it really is like, that's what I feel like eating. Gideon's is very much my palate. Uh, there are actually things on the menu that I don't normally eat and people will challenge me. Like, you know, I, I hate coconut, but I have a coconut caramel chocolate chip cookie <laughs> And what I realized in my own journey of creating that cookie is I don't really hate coconut. I hate fake coconut, that little shreddy, chewy nonsense. So real coconut bark shaved on top of it with a nice coconut oil infused in the cookie, I thought was a really fun experience. So, yeah, I don't know. It's all over the place, really. And that's what makes it. There's no. If there were a formula to it, I don't think it would be as much fun. 
Well, you saw my tears being an ingredient. I think heart is is a ingredient, right? You saw my sort of the, you know, the the personal and emotional part of of dessert is. So there's a lot of care that you put into each one. This is not just sort of you picking out some random recipe and throwing it together. My brother, it takes so long to to develop anything that's on the Gideon's menu. I mean the. Yes, the, the chocolate chip cookie was 15 years of tinkering. But even now, after so many years of doing this, you know, a couple decades at this point, uh, I'll still spend six to eight months on a, on a single new cookie flavor. Uh, and I'm, I'm really fortunate I've got so many great people on my team that are finally starting to understand my palate a little bit. So where it used to constantly be me just saying, do this, 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 and this, just within this last few months, the team will go, hey, what about this? And they'll send me something like with a little tweak. And I was telling you earlier before we started that I try to only do taste tests on Wednesdays uh, because it's so much. And we'll be working on like six months worth of stuff at once. Uh, so I try to only kill myself uh, one, one day a week. Uh, but it, I think it's finally getting to that point where some of my team is really understanding the specificity of my palate and uh, uh, and playing into it, you know. And it's not really that specific, my palate. It's just if it's if you don't feel like this is the best you've had, then why why do it? Mediocrity is my enemy. I say that all the time, and. There's no such thing as the best in the grand scheme of things. Like, I'm not a fan of winning awards or being told that we have the best cookies in the world. There's no such thing. You know, you'd have to eat every cookie in the world, and we would all have to have the exact same palate for that to be true. But our palate is based off of so many things and memories of our life. And, you know, the, the banana, like I said, the banana bread chocolate chip cookie is, is popular because it's so sentimental to the childhood me. So the way that. I perceive and taste the combo banana and chocolate might be different from you if you had a bad experience with banana when you were a kid and you hate it and you're not wrong to hate it. That's just who you are. But I need my team to always feel like everything that we put out there is the is the best that we know how to do. That's the Gideon's promise. Like there's nothing half-assed at all. It's really very thoughtfully added to the menu. And that expands to the other offerings, right? The cakes, again, which are also Everything. massive, which are also made from scratch. You, you mentioned um, the peanut butter cold brew. Like, my son and I will make special trips to Disney Springs only for the peanut butter cold brew. But again, the same thing, the same care and the same importance of sticking to the process um, is critical. We will obsess over the backing card that goes on a Gideon's pin. Like, it's not just the, the, the cookies. It's every single thing at Gideon's Bakehouse, period. Like, they're the, it, it, to, we're not just desserts, like I said earlier. So we're going to obsess over the visuals. We're going to obsess over the storytelling and those trading cards and just making sure that everything is as fun and accurate to who we are as it can be. So let's fast forward a little bit. It's now... Um Spring, June 2020, the lines here at East End Market are out the door. And you make your, you sort of dip your toe a little bit into the Disney Springs waters, not at Gideon's Bakehouse, but at a secret, not so secret menu item on the Polite Pig menu. Yeah, I don't wholesale my cookies, but I uh, the, the, the short version of it is I wanted to 
see if I can get on Disney's radar. Uh, I got a little tactical in my idea for growth. And there's a lot of reasons why Disney was on my radar. Uh, it wasn't an easy choice for me because I like being a little secret in the East End market. But I'm a creative brain that needs to grow. And because I'm obsessed with experience, I started to realize that a place like Disney Springs is wonderful because that sense of escapism is baked into it. Uh, it's already there, and it would be hard to pull that off in the plaza, you know, here in in town. It's just not going to carry that same weight. So that was attractive to me, but also, Polite Pig is a, a local establishment out at Disney Springs, and it was the only one. And I I wanted more representation, so I just thought, wow, what if I can really highlight being a local business at Disney Springs? Uh, and, and representing this wonderful food community on an international stage. It became like a responsibility that, that I felt I owed to the community. So I, I offered the Polite Pig my chocolate chip cookie as a secret menu item. And because I'm a control nut, I had to <laughs> bake it, package it, deliver it. Uh, and the hope was that people would line up for it there like they do here, which would get Disney's attention and the conversation would be had. And on the very first day that it was available <laughs> for sale at the Polite Pig, uh, I give all the love and credit to the Disney Food Vlog for posting a very nice photo of the cookie holding it in front of the Polite Pig sign and proclaiming it one of the best things to eat on Disney property. And uh, it was only a few weeks later that we were sitting down chatting. So... How does it come to be that there's this fortuitous opening in that incredibly prime spot right on the corner there? Talk to me more about the the story again and the theme carrying over what you have here at East End Market into that much larger space and then how it comes together, you know, with the concept and design. Is that all you? Do you work with Imagineering? No, it's... Uh, it's it's me and, and Mike and Sandra, my, my two closest friends, uh, went in there and, and just designed the, the heck out of that space and had a blast doing it. A little fun fact about that space is I wanted to open up the week of Christmas because I'm stupid. Uh, and we got our occupational license the Friday before Christmas. You're not allowed to put anything in that building before you get that certification. So it was empty. It was just woodwork and electrical. Friday afternoon, we got it. By Monday morning, that store looked the way it looks wow. today, inside and out. Like, we did all of that in one weekend, which was probably my, the favorite weekend of my life. Like, it was a blast. It was a blast. It was insane uh, and a lot of pressure uh, and a lot of excitement, uh, but a, a, a definitely one of those pins in life that you, you hold on to uh, throughout your days. But... Uh, Obviously, anything that we do out there is a conversation. Chris Weck is the art director at the Disney Springs, who I adore to the moon and back. She's fantastic. And we're in sync. It wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and while I say I don't like winning awards, I was really proud that, that we, were, we got an international design award for that space. I had to go out to California, and I, I went up on stage after Nintendo got their award, which was just surreal. And it's a black tie event, and there's me showing up looking the way that I always do. Uh, it was uh, it was great. We had a lot of fun. The, 
I'm that really the themed bad. entertainment. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the it's the, a, the, the T award. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I want people to go inside that space. It's it's I, I'm I suffer from perfectionism. It's not a beautiful thing because you're never happy with anything. But Gideon's at Disney Springs is the first thing that ever came out better in reality than it was in my head. Like it's a very special spot to me, and the beauty is. Uh, nobody like me has no business being there. Like uh, uh, all the credit to you know Matt Simon, the VP at, at, at Disney, uh, really believed in us and roll that dice. Like that team out there took a chance with me uh, because I'm I'm just some little local business guy with a 286 square foot space rightfully so there was nothing to suggest to them that I could handle an international crowd in the largest you know place in the world uh, but I have a secret weapon in Patrick McKinney Patrick is my uh, uh, Grandpa Bob operations and, and he's has 16 years of experience working out there under his belt and he is the best if I say there's no such thing as the best Patrick's the exception. Like that guy is incredible. I call him the mayor of Disney Springs because he knows everything. He's the sweetest guy in the world. Like he is a boy scout who just cares. Uh, and we're an egoless team from top to bottom. So we get along with everybody uh, on, on everybody's team out there. And it just makes the days great. I think of Disney Springs the same way as I think of Easton Market. It's an ecosystem. You know, I love talking about all my favorite things to eat out there the same way that I talk about it here. And I'm out at Disney Springs talking about how much I love Lineage Coffee over here. I'm out here at Easton Market talking about how much I love Aleo. Like, it's, it's, all, it's all one happy, wonderful scene. Well, the thing I love about it, too, is it, it's more than the cookies. Again, it's experience inside and out. And you create... As all as Disney does too, you create this wonderfully intricate sort of backstory—not just about the space, but the people that occupy it. Can you tell the story of the bookstore and the purveyor, and and when we go in, sort of the story that we can help sort of put together in our heads? I, I mean, I'll just give you the little teaser that that space once belonged to a, a bookstore owner by the name of Jonathan Linworm. And when we were doing build-out for that space, I found an old daguerreotype, like an old antique photograph in a ledger in the wall uh, that tells a little bit of his story. But the very quick and short of it is that one day this bookseller was seen going into his space and never coming back out. So part of the goal for that space was recreating what we think used to be there, uh, but with a little a lot of time between the two so a lot of the reasons why the those bookshelves are curved and shaped in different directions is because even though linworm has gone his space still remains and has just grown over time so those bookshelves have just continued to grow i love that when you walk in the door um you know the lights dim the crowd level dims like everybody talks a little bit softer when they're inside because of the sense of, of wonder and discovery as they look around and the books the books on the shelves they're authentic like they're Victorian era books yeah yeah they're all early 1800s to early 1900s uh, everything in there belongs uh, and if you go to visit and you walk in the the 
portrait wall. There's a glass case built on the portrait wall. You could even find that old ledger and original photo of Jonathan Linworm. But he's a really, not to go back to the Linworm, but I am fascinated by this. That photo is weird. And it's it's a real thing. Like, we blew it up. And if you if you really take a look at that that man's face, I can't figure it out. Like, he's got a little bit of reptilian going, a little vampire, a little werewolf. Like, it's the strangest photo I've seen. I, I, I love I love everything about that space. One of my favorite things to do is be in there at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning when no one's around. And I just get to listen to music and just be, like, I, I, I just want to live in my, in my shop. And it's a space literal and, with literal and figurative character because you've created stories and characters. And, and we have, like, trading cards around these characters just talk about the idea of giving you know a little sense of, of deeper story to it and the and the inclusion of these collectible trading cards so that was something that I wanted to do before Gideon's ever open was I wanted to be able to tell stories I come from a comic art gallery background so I, I didn't want that part of my life to be completely just severed from the new part I wanted to to meld them together. So the original idea was that I would hide pages of a story in every box. Uh, but I quickly realized that that's not practical. One, I didn't have an art department uh, like I do now, which is just an art department of one with Michael Reyes, uh, who had his first art gallery show at Uberbot. We've just been super close friends ever since. Uh, I just didn't have the resources. But also, I work off of really tiny margins. You know, I make an almost half-pound cookie that takes over 24 hours to prepare I'm 1,600 square foot of retail. I have 170 employees. Adding freebies into every box, you know, from a business standpoint is just is just suicide. Uh, so it was really hard for me to figure out how to make it work. What I loved about the opportunity for Gideon's at Disney Springs is it allowed me to bring on that big of a team uh, to be able to have a dedicated art department. And the way that I kind of transitioned that idea of telling these individual stories was trading cards are easier to make. You know, that size, that, that, that format. Uh, so what we did is we started telling the stories of each character with each collectible card. And Stuart Valencia, uh, who's the card that I gave you today, he was the first. He was, uh, I did an orange pecan chocolate chip cookie. And I remember Mike and I talking about like what that character would be and started to just make each other laugh by telling the story of a boy who ate so many oranges that he eventually turned into one. It's the, the cautionary tale of you are what you eat. And it just snowballed from there until we started creating this little universe of, of, uh, of, of characters that, that are, feel pretty real. Like I have a very sentimental, sentimental attachment to... To a, to a lot like everything from uh, uh, Stuart uh, Valencia because he was the first child to uh, uh, Butterscotch the, the, this girl in the werewolf pajamas that we did in, in January that was my uh, uh, love letter to Maurice Sendak a, you know, artist and, and storyteller that, that I love so it's, it's just a, it's just such a bonus on top of everything that we've done and what I really love about the Disney community is they embrace that storytelling, uh, which is harder to do on a small local level. Uh, it opened up doors for me that, that didn't previously exist. So everything worked out perfectly. 
And I love that the storytelling begins outside, right? You walk by the building, you're trying to figure out what it is, and if the huge line out front doesn't grab your attention, you're a gargoyle. A jazz Close enough? Maybe. Yeah. I can't <laughs> tell you. So part of the journey is if you can learn how to say his name correctly, you are granted his protection. But if I tell you how to say it, it doesn't happen. So when we're done here, I'm going to try like six or seven pronunciations. I'll just wait to read read your face. Um, but again, I just love the, the continuing thoughtfulness and care in every aspect of the brand and the branding and what it is. So take me back in time to this fateful day in December. God bless you for choosing it around Christmas time. Tell me what that opening day experience is like. I, I've had this question before. I don't know how to answer. I still haven't come up with a good answer for it because it was just surreal. Uh, so there's that moment of, oh, wow, okay, this is happening. But from our point of view, it's work. Like, okay, how do we make this what ended up being a 12-hour wait on our grand opening day? You know, how do we improve it? How do we make it as best as we can for everyone? How do we set expectations, which is a large part of my job is just setting expectations of what Gideon's is. I don't like people to be disappointed. Uh, so a lot of it was just talking and getting to know everyone. But it was, I still don't know how to answer this question. I'm, I'm lame. I'm sorry. Did, they, did, did somebody tell you, like, get ready, like a mob is coming? Like there are literally people who are coming just for you. Yeah, the, the, the this was on the grand opening day. The uh, the traffic was backed up, so people were getting out of the cars, like the passengers were getting out of the cars and running into Disney Springs. And security warned us that there was a mob heading to us. So it took us a while to get everybody in the virtual queue, but the the line stretched throughout Disney Springs. So a lot of times when people say, uh, I don't want to wait in this virtual queue, I don't blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you trust me, you'd rather virtually wait than see what this line looks like without a virtual queue. Because there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people ahead of you waiting virtually. You don't want to see that line. I've seen that line. <laughs> I've seen it. Look, even now, Disney Springs opens at 10, the garage opens at 9. 99% of those cars in the garage are people who are heading to Gideon's to getting in line at nine o'clock. It, it has to, I mean, it's an incredible testament to to you and the story, but that has to still be, after so many years, incredible. I, I feel fortunate. You know, I, I don't have the ego to, to be like, ooh, look at me, look what, look what I've done. That's not how I roll. Uh, I just concentrate on making sure that everyone that does go through the effort of coming to see us has the best possible experience like I, I see it on my team every time treat every cookie you make like it's someone's first Gideon's cookie because there's a really good chance that it will be so I want to make sure that it's the best so I I, I do have a little pockets of joy and just the realiza- realization of this madness but I don't allow myself to fall into it I'm always just looking how we can make it better and how we can grow and be better ourselves. So I want to try and pay you the highest compliment that I can because knowing a little bit about your story and meeting you and hearing you, there's a lot of like, and again, I mean this, there's a lot of Walt Disney in you, right? In terms of the vision, in terms of the care, in terms of what is important and 
you know, the quote about making, it takes people to make the dream a reality. You obviously can't be in two locations at once, right? You can't be in, in both places at once. You go from one person in his kitchen to 170 employees. Talk about the importance of building a culture of the staff. Because when I go to Gideon's, I know that I'm going to have a conversation with the person who is helping me. That they're genuinely, you know, interested in, in what I have to say. It's not transactional. It's it's a relationship thing. And that and there's a, a personal conversation that doesn't feel like it's salesperson and, and customer, but like Disney, sort of a, a guest. Yeah, I mean, part of it's like what we talked about earlier with the the interview process of really making sure that, that I'm hiring people that are passionate about creating those experiences. And they understand what I'm looking for. I want to know, I want them to know a little bit about who I am and I want to know a little bit about who they are. And a lot of their job is to do that exact same thing with everybody that walks up. But it's important to me, and we, I talked about us being an egoless team. A lot of that is because not just it allows us to get on with everybody perfectly as we move throughout our days or as best that we can, but I want my team to be that. You know, I, I tell people that I hire for emotional maturity. You have to bring emotional maturity to your day, and what that means to me is you have to care about the guest experience, but you also have to care about your coworkers' experience, and you have to care about yourself. Like, I am equally invested in all three of those things. Uh, and it's not nonsense. It's not, it's not a line that I'm throwing out because I think it sounds like it will resonate or it's what people want to hear. It's preached from the top to the bottom. There's, no, there's equality across the board at Gideon's, and I think that really helps. I want everyone to take their job seriously and, 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 and create art and good things with what they do. But I really also want them to laugh and have a good time and look out for each other. It's just important to me. You know, I mean, that's I, I, I my team knows I'm a terrible capitalist. Like, it's not my scene. Like, I'm not trying to squeeze people. I am truly obsessed with experience. That's, you know, how much money I have isn't a mark of any level of greatness at all. What I can do for others is what really, really matters. That's why we like to do so much charity stuff. It's like, how, how can we improve the lives of our team? How can we improve the lives of our guests and create great memories for them? But also, what can we give back to the community? For us, it's all about animals. Uh, so uh, you know, those are the things that matter. I just have to make sure that we're healthy enough that we're all still employed uh, and, uh, and, uh, and go from there. Well, I love the fact that you grow your team, you know, really out of necessity, right, to be able to serve guests, but you still keep your creative team very small. I love the fact that you do your own social, right? Gideon's Bakehouse on, on Instagram. And I love that it's not just pictures of cookies, come by this, this is what we're doing now. It's stories and characters and poems and things about animals. There's a, Again, there's, I feel like there's a lot of... of heart and, and authenticity and you behind every one of those posts. Yeah, I, I think it's weird. And you know, no, no disrespect to other people and how they do their choices. There's no right or wrong in anyone's life. It's your experience. But the idea of giving up my social media for someone else to run makes zero sense to me. It would just... Gideon's is very much me. So why would someone else vocalize that? Uh, so no one has my password. No one's ever used my social media if I accidentally fall off this, uh, you know, second story on the way out of here, which is possible, I'm pretty clumsy. 
then you know there's no more Gideon's Bakehouse social media. <laughs> uh, so I, I enjoy it. It's 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 very personal. So I, I I've had conversations with people for two years before they've had their first Gideon's. And I'll show my team my DMs of just and their their you know animated gifts and happy birthdays. Like it's more than just you know what's the special cookie today. It's I talk to people. Right, you're not a brand. You humanize what the quote unquote Gideon's brand is. Yeah, it's it's very personal. And I like that people know that they can DM me at any time to say, I love this, I love this cookie. This employee was a jerk. This employee was awesome. You know, it's it's it's. It's a really fun relationship, but I'm not a I'm not a social media spammer either. Like I only post when there's something to tell you. Like there's no cookie memes on my social media. It's it, I might only post four times a month, but when I do, it covers everything you need to know. <laughs> like if you read my Gideon social, you know what's happening all the time. Like my recent post where I talked about why I don't ship because the question comes up so often and it'll build and build and build that every few months I feel the need to address it again that helps those questions subside and gives my team a little break. Because uh, like I said, setting expectation is a big part of what I do and I try to use my social media uh, to make sure that anyone that wants to know what's up knows what's up. And I think it's empowering to us as guests to know that when we reach out via DM, the person who's reading it and the person who's going to respond to it is the owner of the company. It is the person behind Gideon's, which you don't get in 99.9% of, of other businesses. Um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit and, and talk sort of about sort of the entrepreneurial side of your story because it's 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 fascinating to me, this you know, kid with a dream, a few hundred dollars, no budget, no investors. Um, can you share advice for people who are thinking about starting a business, who have those same fears and hesitations and the importance of taking risks? So I still feel like what you just described, like uh, broke. <laughs> you know, no partners, no investors. That's not really that much different. Uh, these days, the price of eggs alone has, has destroyed me. Uh, but uh, wow, that question. Uh, Consistently, the biggest piece of advice that I give to people is, is really two main things. One is be authentic to who you are. If what you're doing is an expression of you, it's going to be a much easier path for you and hopefully unique compared to what everyone else is doing because we're unique people. Uh, so try to be true to who you are and not a product of your environment. Like I don't pay attention to what other people are doing. I don't care. I don't know celebrity chefs. I don't know that life. I just mess around and hope that something cool comes out of it. Uh, the other thing I tell people, which kind of goes hand in hand with being authentic to who you are, is don't listen to what other people tell you. So if I listen to every piece of advice that people gave me as a very young pop-up and I had advice from everybody, I would not be what I am today. That authenticity wouldn't be there. I would have been conflicted. It's information overload when you're listening to everybody's different advice and everybody's got their own opinion. Uh, the best path is always your path. Uh, so I don't really care what other people tell me. Yeah, because it's it's very easy to get distracted by somebody saying, you need to do this, you should be doing this. You, you know, I love the fact that you stayed true to your vision, especially for this. 
but you also you dealt with adversity not once but twice you know over and over again whether it's having to have surgery on your hand and not being able to to play music anymore whether it is losing your comic book shop you know two out of your three things that you wanted as a kid went away talk about this idea of having to deal in, dealing with adversity and how failure and challenges force you to be more creative dealing with adversity is awesome failing is awesome I'm great at it uh, but I think that philosophically if you if you don't know how to learn from your mistakes you're living life in a straight line which may be a declining line because cynicism starts to kick in I think one of the successes in life is truly learning from your mistakes I don't believe that everything happens for a reason that's just you know that's that suggests that you don't have a choice in the matter. But if you if you learn from your mistakes and you look back at your life, you connect the dots as if everything happened for a reason. But it's up to you to find the path to those dots. Uh, I'm, I'm a Harry Potter nerd. And uh, one of the things that I loved and resonated with in Harry Potter was the, the, the liquid luck, the Felix Felicis. Uh, I think about that often. And, and all it really does is open up your mind to all those possibilities so that you can clearly see that path. And I try to take moments in, in, in my life where I just turn everything off and visualize that path and Felix Felicis my way into the next step that feels authentically me without all the mumbo jumbo around it. So I love challenges, you know, it, it, again, if you believe that life is all about experience, you can't experience great things all the time. It's got to be a mixed bag. And I learn equally from the positive as I do from the negative. I, I love the experience of going to an amazing restaurant and I love the bad experiences too. You know, I went to a place the other day and I'm like, what is this? This is terrible. Who designed this? Uh, but I learned from that. Oh my God, I could never do that. Uh, so I, I embrace it all, and and when you can learn to do that, I think it, it helps you to grow. One of our our uh, the the Gideon's goals as a as a business, I say in quotes because I don't really think of Gideon's as a as a business, but as a team and individually, we just try to be a little bit better with every single day, uh, in in how we create. And how we treat each other. And if we can do that, uh, we're doing all right. You know, I, I, the, the older I've gotten, the more I've been in tune with that concept. And the happier I've been. Well, you talk about team, right? And I think one of the hardest steps is going from solopreneur to entrepreneur. From the single guy with $800 in the bank to 170 employees. Talk about scaling and some of the fears and the trust that has to associated with that? I mean, the easiest route would have been to automate the process or hire somebody to, you know, an outside company to, to do some of this stuff for us. But nothing about Gideon's has changed from my kitchen to Disney Springs. So the, my only choice, like the only path available to me was to hire hands, to do everything by hand. And it was really hard. It was really hard. So I... I it, it, Someone asked me the other day if I if I could tell 
year one Steve anything. It was, will you please hire some more people? Because you're letting go is hard, though. But letting go is hard. It's really hard, and that was the biggest jump for me. Is is just letting that happen. And I again super fortunate because. Uh, sizing people up is my competency strength so I was able to find people like Patrick and Brian and Chef Willie and Chef Terrell that that just run great teams in that kitchen so that there's consistency which is the key to success in, in the restaurant business uh, again every cookie should be you know think of it as it's somebody's first Gideon's cookie so I need that team to care and because there's so many people in there I need the top of that food chain to care so that that culture is set in. Uh, and it works, you know, and we have a pretty strict, you know, 90 day thing. If you're not clicking in those 90 days, peace. Uh, you know, we don't have time to, to introduce that into it. Uh, it goes again back to emotional maturity and ego. Like I tell my staff, you're never going to deal with ego and drama from me. I'm not going to deal with it from you. Like the easiest way to get let go at Gideon's is to be, you know, drama and gossipy and, making like being in a click like if somebody in my my staff starts a little click that gangs up on other part no we don't do that at all so it 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 makes it scaling up growth much easier the challenge is always the people you have with you so we place a really high importance on the quality the personality the emotional maturity of our team and creativity it goes back to this idea of, of creating culture but you mentioned a word earlier that, that resonates with me because it's the most important part of what I do. It's the heart of what I do, and it's community. Talk about how the secret and the best way to build brand is by building community. Yeah, I think that's something that I learned without realizing I was learning it. When you're a musician, you're trying to build a sense of community around your band so that they come and support you and see you. Uh, then I graduated into the comic shop where I had an art gallery and I did interesting things at that art gallery where I would invite those comic artists to do things but then the next month I would have themed art shows that anyone was allowed to do pieces in and that world famous artist would do a piece for it alongside of a 7 year old that just put their first piece of art in an art gallery show and I love that because it created community and all these walks of life came together at Uberbot uh, and just got to know each other. And that was the pride in what we did there. That was that uh, building of community. And I started to understand that in that second round more than I did in the first. It was just subconsciously happening then. So Eastern Market was a perfect place for me because it's a community. Uh, Disney Springs is a perfect place for me because it's a community. Like the, it's, it, the feeling is already there. And I just love tapping into it, encouraging it, and building it. I tell people all the time when they come to Gideon's at Disney Springs and I find out that they're East End Market people, I'm like, this is your store. This never would have happened. When people praise me for uh, all the things that have happened, praise my community. Those are the people behind every strong business here in Central Florida, period. You know, if it weren't for that, we wouldn't exist. So community is everything. You know, well that's, 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 again, it's part of that human condition. We're, we're, all, we're all in this together. So your first step is into the kitchen. Your first jump is into East End Market. Your big leap is into Disney Springs. What's next for Gideon? Secrets are next for Gideon's. 
Uh, yeah, one of the and I have to learn to be careful about this because every time I talk about it, it becomes an article somewhere. Uh, because I, I I just recently admitted that I didn't want to open up another Gideon's. It's hard. Uh, so scaling again and again and again is there's, there's got to you know come a limit. Uh, I I don't want to automate the same issues exist. Maybe someday a, a an opportunity will come along that that presents a, a creative challenge but maybe not who knows uh, I think there's a lot of growth to be had in Gideon's without ever having another location just in the stories that we tell uh, and, and, and letting them grow and, and be new things but I have openly admitted that some of those characters deserve to leave the family and expand in their own ways uh, and that's something that, that interests me is creativity in, in some other project that is threaded to Gideon's but not Gideon's I have a wry smile on my face as I look into your eyes trying to read what you're saying but I love you I know <laughs> you like the recipes for Gideon's you're, you are a sealed vault um, Look, I love how your business is built on on bringing joy to people, and I can only imagine what it must be like for you, whether it's here at Eastern Market or when you go to Disney Springs and you watch guests come out with smiles on their faces, cookies on their lips, or, or you know, talk about that. Just very quickly, talk about how that the feeling that you get of seeing the joy that you bring people. I just want to talk to everybody, you know. So, like I said, I feel like I'm still cooking you're baking cookies out of my house and you've come over to my house to enjoy them. So in the same way that I would want to talk to someone that's come over to my house, I want to talk to someone that's come into my line. So my staff jokes that I cost Gideon's thousands of dollars every time I show up because I'd slow the, the machine down. I just want to talk and talk and I'm not allowed in the store uh, because uh, I'll look over and all the registers are empty and their, their hands are crossed, you know, their arms are crossed <laughs> in front of their chest. Uh, so I, I, I've gotten a little bit better and I just try to talk to people outside in the line, but it's, I, I just feel fortunate for the opportunity to be able to express myself, uh, and I don't want to squander it and I don't want to change who I am. And I, I, I refuse to allow any of it to go to my head. Uh, the one thing that you do learn when you grow up as a musician is that, you should be better than everyone else because you sing and play guitar. And I learned how to get rid of that nonsense. Uh, I'd say my early teens, early 20s, I do not want it back. So it's not about me. It's about them. It's about everybody else. Uh, it's not called Steve's Bakehouse for a reason. Uh, so I just want to talk to you. If you see me out there, say hello because I'd be excited to say hello back. I love that, and I love that about you and, and the authenticity, and, and you, know, you so much are this brand, um, and there's there's a little bit of, a lot of creativity, a little bit of tears, a whole lot of work and, and heart that goes into it. You sell joy, you bring comfort. Last question, when you need a little bit of comfort food, when you need a Gideon's cookie and a coffee, what, what's your go-to? I mean, there's so many tears, not just a little. Yeah, you got that percentage off. Uh, banana bread, chocolate chip cookie, and peanut butter cold brew uh, has been my my absolute jam lately. Oh, and lately, the the cinnamon roll cake. Oh, oh, I'm team vanilla, which is funny to say as somebody that's got chocolate all over everything. 
But uh, on Valentine's Day, I, I snagged a piece of that cake and brought it home, told my cats I love them, and just <laughs> ate that, that cake. And don't look at me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me by what I am doing. Um, Steve, this has been fascinating. I appreciate you being so transparent in in sharing your stories and some of your secrets. Um, In terms of what's next, all we can do is wait and hope and enjoy some of the incredible treats and the joy that you bring uh, here at East End Market and here at uh, Disney Springs. Um, This has been fascinating. Steve Lewis, thank you so much. We didn't even talk about comics. We're doing all right. Yeah, I know. I was like, well, the poor guy's got to get on with his day. Because right, we really could go. Quick. Favorite Marvel movie and why? Go. Oh. See, I got it you. is. Yeah. It's hard. Um, the, you know what? I'm going to go with the original Avengers, which I've probably seen a hundred times. Yeah. And that's not an exaggeration. So I'm going to say it's Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah, that's right. I got you. And as a comic book nerd, one of the things that I love about Captain America as a character in the Marvel movies is he is one of the few characters that's unchanged. He is exactly the same in the movies as he is in the comics. That's page to screen perfection. And Winter Soldier is such a great film because there's nothing about it that has to be particularly superhero. It's just a great story. It's very accessible to people that love so many different genres of movies. It's just a very well-made film. I love it. Now I want to say Captain America First Avenger because I love origin stories. I told you I Me love too. the period pieces. I love the music from that film. Who doesn't love Captain Carter? I, I adore Captain Carter. That's a great. I, I even have the the, the Captain Carter uh, Hot Toys figure oh, yeah, yeah. with the uh, with the uh, uh, Hydra Stomper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so cool, so cool. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. I love it. I know it's too bad that uh, they just don't have the comic book shop. But yeah, man, this is great. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Favorite Marvel character? I know the answer, but go. Uh, yeah, I, I do love the, the complexity and tragedy that is Thanos. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details in which you see, hear, taste, or remember. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is brought to you by you. Because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you help bring every episode of the show to life, every live broadcast, the contests and giveaways. They're all thanks to, by, for, with, and about you. And you can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month and get exclusive rewards every month, like scavenger hunts, take part in our group video calls, get access to our private Facebook group, their shirts, stickers, monthly care packages from the parks, early access and discounts to special events, and much more. I am so incredibly grateful to you for your love, support, friendship, and help. And I love being able to give back to you each and every month. And don't forget that a portion of your contribution goes to our Dream Team Project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Thanks to you, we've raised more than $550,000 to send children with life-threatening illnesses and their families to Walt Disney World. So by helping the show, you also make a difference and bring magic to those kids and families that need it most. I want to quickly thank some new and longtime members of our nation family, including Richard Pineda, Daniel J. Roberts, Carrie McCullough, Christine Mahin, and C. Ted. Thank you so very much. And if you want to find out how you can help the show and join the nation, you can visit www.radio.com slash support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. 
So last week, I asked you to tell me, where in Walt Disney World have you or can you hear this phrase? And once again, rather than my bad impression of it, here is the actual audio. Testing. One, two, three. I don't think this, is this thing on? I don't think this thing is on. Can anyone hear me? Good, you can hear me. If you weren't sure when I asked the question, does this help? Sound familiar? Because it's from the pre-show from Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Now, if you never saw it or don't remember, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience replaced Captain EO in the Imagination Pavilion at Epcot during the 1994 season. It was obviously based on the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie and was so popular in Epcot that they opened up another version of three years later in Tokyo Disneyland, but they called it Microadventure in April 1997. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, and there were many, many of them, so thank you very much. Randomly selected one, and last week you were playing for a WW Radio pin and WW Radio mug and a mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Timothy Evans. So, Timothy, congratulations. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So since I just returned from Italy literally hours ago, I promise I will have a full recap of our WW Radio group adventure by Disney to Italy coming very soon. So since we just came back from Italy, we're going to head to Italy in Epcot for this week's trivia question. Because the architecture in the front of the Italy Pavilion in Epcot, closest to the promenade with the bell tower and the palace, is based off a single Italian city what is it? What Italian city is the front of the Italy Pavilion primarily based off of? There are some other architectural elements and areas of influence in other parts of the pavilion, but the palace, the bell tower closest to the promenade, what Italian city is that section of the pavilion based on? You have until Sunday, March 26th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there, and this week, you're once again going to play for a prize package that includes a WW Radio mug and keychain, which are only available as contest prizes. And you know what? I'll throw in another mystery prize as well. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Thanks again to Steve Lewis from Gideon's. I'd love to know from you. Have you ever been before? Is it worth the hype? What's your favorite cookie? Let me know by being part of the community and conversation over in the WW Radio Clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. In addition to talking about this week's show, you can talk about anything you'd like to in the Disney, Marvel, or Star Wars universe in a fun friendly, family-friendly place that you can call home. You can also connect with me elsewhere on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the show, you can email me, Lou, at www.radio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Don't forget to look for another show in your feed this Thursday from the WW Radio archives. I'm planning on sharing one that I'm actually looking forward to going back to and listening again because it's very timely. If you have a favorite show from the archives you'd like to see or hear, let me know by calling the voicemail or posting it in the clubhouse. Speaking of timely, thank you so much for following along on our WW Radio Adventures by Disney group trip to Italy with a quick stopover in Disneyland Paris. I shared a lot of photos and videos and daily recaps on my personal profile on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lou 
I'll share more on the WW Radio blog. And of course, we're going to do a full recap on that group adventure. So stay tuned. I'll also have more information about our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World and other group trips, adventures, and cruises coming very soon. And speaking of in-person events, I am very excited to finally be able to share and announce that I'm going to be speaking at MegaCon Orlando on Sunday, April 1st. I'm actually going to be hosting a panel on living your Star Wars story, Star Wars in the Disney parks. I invited some of the biggest, brightest Star Wars fans I know. Unfortunately, none of them showed up. So the panel is going to consist of me, Ryan Donahoe from theforcecast.net, Jeremiah Good from Laughing Place, and my son, Nicholas Mangello. We're going to talk about the past, the present, and the future of living your own Star Wars story in the Disney parks around the world. That's Sunday, April 1st at 1.15 p.m. in room S320 at Megacon Orlando. For more information to get your single day or weekend long tickets, you can visit Megacon Orlando on Instagram or go to Fan Expo HQ and you can find Megacon Orlando. It runs from March 30th through April 2nd. It is one of my favorite con-related events of the year. I'm incredibly excited, very, very honored to be able to present with my fellow panelists this year about living your Star Wars story in the Disney parks. If you're going to be at Megacon, please come by. One, because I would hate to talk to an empty room. Two, because I would love to see you there. And three, I might even have some giveaways as well. If you are planning on attending, I'm going to create an event in Facebook. I'll share it into the clubhouse on Facebook. Please let me know that you're going to be attending. I'll share that again at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. Speaking of live events, but in a little bit of a different vein, my Momentum Weekend Retreat is coming up April 28th through the 30th. I have only one spot left for this weekend-long, all-inclusive retreat where I assemble a group of eight entrepreneurs and solopreneurs in a luxury vacation home where I take care of everything, accommodations, food, etc., to really help you create a turning point in your business where you turn your dreams into actual and achievable goals in a three-day mastermind retreat. To find out more, to get more information, ask a question, or to secure your spot and take advantage of the $100 off early bird discount before March 26th, visit lumangelo.com slash retreat. Thanks, as always, to Becky Mankin and the entire team over at Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs, whether you're going to any Disney destination, cruise line, Aulani, or anywhere on the planet. Mouse Fan Travel can help you get the best possible prices, proactively look for discounts, and give you personal guidance, advice, and recommendations because every single one of the agents at Mouse Fan Travel doesn't treat you like a client. They treat you like they're their own family. For a free no obligation quote, you can visit mousefantravel.com. Please don't forget to join me this and every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live, my live video broadcast and chat over on Facebook. I could be from the parks, from the home studios. We have a lot to catch up on between Italy, Paris, Tron, Mandalorian, anything you want to talk about. Every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com. And finally, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask that if you like the show, please help spread the word. It's one of the best ways that you can help support the show is by letting other people know about it, by simply telling a friend, sharing a link to this or your favorite episode over on social. If you do, take a screenshot, actually, of the podcast while you're listening on your mobile device. Share it on social. Tag me at Lou Mangello. I'll reshare it. I'll follow you back. But if you know someone that would love fun, family-friendly 
content, conversations, and communities like we have here in our WW Radio family, please let them know. And if you can, take just a second to rate and review the show over in Spotify or an Apple podcast. It is very helpful and very much appreciated. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Kate C92 exclamation point who says, it's the best Disney podcast. I've been listening to WW Radio for eight plus years and I still get excited when I see a new episode has been posted. The episodes are diverse with interviews, reviews, top tens, etc., which always keep me interested as some other podcasts just focus on Disney news that I can easily find online. More importantly, Lou's positivity and love for Disney are evident in every episode, which always keeps me coming back. Kate C., thank you very much. That means more than you know. And finally, most importantly, I know we had a lot to cover in the outro here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you not just for listening and for your time, but your friendship and community and support. I am very aware and grateful every single day of the life and the opportunity and the blessings that you have given me by allowing me to share my love and passion for Disney with you through the show and so many other ways and the true family that you have helped create as part of the WW Radio community. You embody what I believe, which is to choose the good, to find the good in everything and everyone that we encounter. Because every day and everyone, everything might not be good always, but there's always something good in every day. And all you have to do is look for it. Positivity is contagious. I promise you, and you can be the start of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. I will hope to see you on the live show on Wednesday night or right back here next week. So until then, see ya. Just wanted to say your food and wine festival review was refreshing. Most podcasts um, sound like they've never eaten anything outside of uh, mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese. It was refreshing to hear people who had um, good palates taste the food. Thank you. Hey, Lou. This is Kim from Michigan. Um, I was out on a walk, so if I sound like Darth Vader right now, I was cruising to your Bastion podcast. Um, I wanted to mention something that I noticed has changed in the women's Bastion over the last year or so, and that is when you lock the door, there is now a red occupied sign or green unoccupied if no one's in there. And if you've ever been in a women's Bastion before, which I'm not going to judge you if you have, but anyways, um, when you walk in there, there's a solid console, and sometimes the doors are closed, and so you have to walk up and down, see if anybody's in there. And I have really appreciated this new feature. Um, also, I want to say the restrooms near the, um, the safari ride. Oh, God, those things. I swear they're hotter than the outside. They're humid, they're hot, they're crowded. It's hard to get in and get out. Not fun. So, thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Elizabeth from Massachusetts. Um, happy Wednesday for everyone. I just listened to the most recent episode, listener email. Uh, those are, like, honestly some of my favorites. And, yeah, the resort question about, like, the theming, I actually kind of love that the resorts themselves, at least from, like, a Disney intense person perspective, have sort of, like, gained their own IP, if that makes sense. Like, I would almost love, and I think they've started to do this, and they do do this, but, like, I would love even more, like, gear and theming stuff and items that you could buy, like, specifically from each resort. Because 
there's like certain resorts like the original ones you know like i would love a set of like polynesian dishware <laughs> or like stuff like that and i just or like a spirit jersey and like different things and i know there's some specifics but i actually think the theming is fun in that sense because i think some of them like you mentioned even the boardwalk um you know they have their own theming and their own aesthetic but i i like it where it fits like if they can put an ip in certain resorts and whatever yeah sure go for it i just don't like when it doesn't fit or it feels forced but i kind of like the idea of having like more rooms or more sections that are kind of themed i would be down pay like becky said to you you know 50 extra bucks or whatever but yeah great episode as always hope everyone's doing well um talk to you real soon and see you later bye